With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Hard hit Calusa County celebrates its ag heritage at the annual farm show. Farmers in the Sacramento Valley and beyond turned out at the February 7th through 9th Calusa Farm Show to check out agricultural equipment and technology to boost farming outcomes in future crop years. The event celebrated farming in a hard-hit region. Last year, more than half of California's rice fields, particularly in Calusa County and the Sacramento Valley, were fallowed due to drought. Speaking at the Farm Show's annual breakfast was California Farm Bureau's President Jamie Johansson, and he called for a state action on infrastructure to address future water needs. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into today's show headlines. The Basic Requirements of H-2A Gathering workers through the H-2A visa program requires a lot of preparation. Anna Genesee with the Stanislaus County Farm Bureau with the details. So H-2A program is a, is a program through the U.S. Department of Labor, and it is an opportunity for agriculture industry to utilize temporary labor from other countries. Um, of course, because it goes through our government, there are a variety of hula hoops that have to be jumped through. Um, first and foremost, you have to be able to demonstrate that there is not a sufficient workforce domestically. Um, So they're looking for things like, have you run an ad in the newspaper to recruit? Um, You have to be able, as an employer, you have to be able to demonstrate that you could not find um, an available, qualified domestic workforce. So that's that's the first thing. Um, Then, uh, of course, these folks that are traveling here, um, you are responsible for their fees to get here and then to return to home. Um, while they're here, you are, of course, paying them an hourly wage. And the way that that works, it is not synonymous with the minimum wage for the state that they're working in. It actually has to do with um, a term AWAR. It's the average effect wage rate. And here in California, I just checked this this morning because I wanted to be able to share this with folks. That current rate is $18.65 an hour. Stay tuned as we'll have more on the H-2A program and farm labor shortages in the coming shows. But right now, here's Agnet West, Brian German, with more agriculture news. A healthy soil environment can go a long way in naturally defending against pest and disease issues. Scott Park of Park Farming Organics said they've had measurable success in focusing on their soils to help mitigate potential pest and disease problems in the field. We've had studies done by UC Davis where we're not having any attacks by beet leaf harpers because the plant and the soil microorganisms are working together. The microorganisms are sending salicylic acid up to the plant, which the plant's exuding. Beet leaf hoppers can't stand to be near it. So they've run trials and we're showing 10 times to 40 40 times better control by us doing nothing other than developing a healthy soil environment over time. And there's examples on nitrogen in the groundwater, water usage on almost everything, and almost all our problems are solved by just being thoughtful on your farm practices. Nominations are being accepted for the 2023 California Leopold Conservation Award. Sand County Foundation and national sponsor American Farmland Trust present the Leopold Conservation Award to private landowners for extraordinary achievement in voluntary conservation. 
In California, the $10,000 award is presented with state partners, Sustainable Conservation, and California Farm Bureau Federation. The first award was given out in 2006, with Beretta Family Dairy of Santa Rosa receiving the award in 2022. Nominations can be submitted on behalf of a landowner, or landowners can also nominate themselves. Applications are reviewed by an independent panel of agricultural and conservation leaders. The award will be presented at CFBF's annual meeting in December. Applications are due by July 18th, and more information on how to apply is available at leopoldconservationaward.org. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, the EPA announced a proposed rule that would change the Pesticide Application Exclusion Zone, or AEZ, requirements under the 2015 Agricultural Worker Protection Standard. In 2015, EPA made significant changes to the Worker Protection Standard to decrease pesticide exposure among farm workers and their family members. Among the changes, the revised standard included a new provision requiring agricultural employers to keep workers and all other individuals out of that area called the AEZ during outdoor pesticide applications. The AEZ is the area surrounding an ongoing pesticide application that people must not enter to avoid exposure. In 2020, the Trump administration published a rule specific to the AEZ requirements that changed the size of that AEZ. EPA Assistant Administrator Mikhail Friedhoff explains. The original 2015 rule required either a 100-foot or 25-foot zone around pesticide spraying, depending on the droplet size, which is the measure of how easily a pesticide can drift and accidentally expose people. The 2020 rule removed the 100-foot zone category altogether and created a general 25-foot zone for all pesticide spraying. Additionally, the 2015 AEZ provisions required spraying to stop for people who, who were within the AEZ, even if they weren't on the farm's property, and for people like utility workers accessing telephone lines within the AEZ on an easement. But the 2020 rule took those protections away too. So a person standing two feet away on the wrong side of a farm's fence line would no longer be protected by any AEZ even from the most dangerous pesticides. California Congressman Dr. Raul Ruiz, a Democrat from the 25th Congressional District in Southern California, was among the officials making the announcement in a virtual call with reporters. Every day, farm workers from California to Oregon to Florida to North Carolina toil the fields day in and day out with calloused hands and tired backs to feed America. In the darkest days of the pandemic, they stepped up risking their own lives to put food on our tables, keep us healthy or help us recover and keep our families fed. Now, as we continue our recovery from the pandemic, we must make sure that they are protected on the job. 
farm workers are such an important essential labor force for our health and recovery from the pandemic that as chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus last Congress, I held the first National Farm Worker Policy Roundtable in Congress to initiate strategies to improve their lives. Today, the EPA will reinstate a federal standard to lessen pesticide exposure among 2 million farm workers across the country. This standard follows the precautions that our California growers already take every day to keep our vital agricultural workers and others out of harm's way during pesticides application. Martha Guzman, EPA Regional Administrator for Region 9, which includes California, supports the changes. And here in the region, we are very proud to have over 33% of the nation's 2.6 million farm workers. We have 850,000 in California alone, which is the largest population of farm workers in the nation. I just want to reiterate and and share a personal story of my uh, career uh, over 20 years ago when these worker protection standards were being proposed to be updated. And to see this come into fruition today is extraordinary. Because as uh, Director Friedhoff said, it is a baseline and basic protection, not just for farm workers, but also for nearby communities. You can read more about these and other proposed changes on our website at agnetwest.com. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, during the recent cattle industry convention held in New Orleans, Louisiana, Agnet Media intern Will Jordan had a chance to talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association CEO about what's going on in the industry. As we look back on the 2023 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show, producers have much to look forward to. NCBA CEO Colin Woodall shared his key takeaway from the convention with the Southeast Agnet. The thing that really resonates with me is just how optimistic producers are right now. As weather patterns shift and cattle prices rise, optimism was certainly felt in New Orleans. Woodall emphasized a couple unfavorable conditions, though, that still weigh on producers' minds. It's going to be tempered by the fact that we're going to have more regulations that we're fighting, and we still have inflation and high input prices that's really putting a damper on some of that. This is Will Jordan. Thanks, Will. In other news, the National Milk Producers Federation recently committed three NMPF cooperative members who spoke up for dairy producers at a bipartisan House Ag Committee Farm Bill listening session that was held in Tulare. California dairy producers Brad Bosch, Jared Fernandez, and Tony Lopez each discussed farmer needs as lawmakers begin work on a reauthorization of farm programs due later this year. NMPF cooperative member farmers touched on critical issues that they are hoping the House Ag Committee will consider in crafting the 2023 Farm Bill. That includes key matters related to federal milk marketing order system, the dairy margin coverage program, and other risk management tools, along with the important sustainability opportunities that Farm Bill conservation programs provide to dairy producers of all sizes. Among some of the comments, Brad Bosch, who is a Southern California dairy farmer with California Dairies Incorporated and Dairy Farmers of America member owner, said the dairy industry is working hard to reach a consensus on the federal milk marketing order improvements that will be submitted to USDA for consideration on a national federal order hearing. He noted of most importance is returning to the hire of Class 1 mover. The current formula is blamed for a nearly $1 billion loss 
over the past few years. If you'd like to learn more about this Farm Bill listening session, go to the National Milk Producers Federation website, nmpf.org. And the American Sheep Industry Association wants to remind producers their spring trip to Washington, D.C. is coming up March 27th through 29th. Producers from state and national associations across the U.S. will be able to visit the nation's capital to meet with their congressional delegations on issues of interest to the industry. Producers interested in joining the field trip should contact their state sheep association executive who will coordinate with ASI to plan the annual legislative fly-in. Otherwise, to learn more information, go to the ASI website, sheepusa.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Why do we have GMOs? Actually, we've been modifying crops for thousands of years to prevent crop loss from pest and weather damage, to grow more food on less land, even to improve nutrition. Today, GMOs are developed for the same reasons. With genetic engineering, scientists can change and improve crops more easily and quickly. Feed your mind with more GMO facts on FDA's website. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Continuing eight decades of support. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. John Deere announced a donation of $1 million to the National FFA Organization. That donation will support the growth of future leaders, feed agriculture's talent pipeline, and honor the organization's community service efforts. It also builds on the 80-year partnership between John Deere and National FFA. Molly Ball, president of the National FFA Foundation, says they're thrilled to continue that partnership with John Deere. She says, quote, They've been unwavering in their support for more than 80 years and continue to see the potential leaders in each one of our members and advisors. FFA will also be raising funds during Give FFA Day on Thursday, February 23rd. A donation of any amount from the public will support FFA and agricultural education. It's a chance to open doors for members to explore their interests and discover fulfilling careers. To get involved or donate, go to ffa.org on February 23rd. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. When cattle are grazed on a leased pasture that also has active oil and gas operations, who's responsible if the cattle get into the tank battery area and die? I'll be back in a moment to discuss. Kansas State University consistently ranks in the top 10 of all ag schools. 97% of K-State ag graduates are employed or furthering their education. Learn more at ag.ksu.edu. I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. 
In a Texas case, a tenant grazed 650 head of cows on land he leased from a landowner. He didn't look at the pasture before sending the cattle. An oil and gas company had a mineral lease on some of the leased pasture, but the mineral lease did not require the company to fence off its portion of the property or its equipment. The company was notified that cattle would be grazing the pasture, and they made sure that the electric fence around the tank battery and well site was working. But as soon as the cattle were turned out, they began knocking down the fence and getting inside the operations by the tank battery. The fence was repaired, but the cattle continued to get in the area around the tank battery on multiple occasions, even after additional fence repairs. Ultimately, 132 head of cattle died, and the issue was which party was responsible. The court said it wasn't the oil company's problem. The mineral lease didn't require the cattle to be fenced out. The court also determined the company didn't act in a willful or intentional manner to harm the cattle. It was the cattle owner's responsibility to check the property and take steps to keep his cattle away from the oil and gas operations. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. It all adds up. A specific U.S. food and farm commodity gaining or expanding access in an export market times several such examples. The result? Increased economic opportunities for our nation's ag sector. That's according to the U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Ag Negotiator, Doug McCaleb, who provides as examples from this past January alone. We've gotten market access into Ghana for U.S. meat products. We've gotten access into Honduras for chicken products. China has approved six new GE products for sale in China. And India has reduced its tariff on pecans and eliminated its tariff on industrial ethanol, as well as a few other products. The ambassador adds he expects efforts to improve ag trade opportunities to continue at an aggressive pace. You keep that track record up, keep the gas pedal to the floor, and farmers begin to see and feel a difference in the marketplace. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The United States and the United Kingdom continue to explore the path towards a trade agreement, though there are still several obstacles that need to be addressed. Dave Salmonson, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Government Affairs Director, explains. Both the countries are engaging in something called dialogues where they are exploring issues, trying to get better relationships. The U.S. and U.K. in agriculture have a pretty robust trade. Each country sends about $2 billion worth annually to the other, but it certainly is something that definitely can be improved. The United Kingdom Secretary of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs called for a free trade agreement with the U.S. this week in Washington. Farm Bureau certainly supports that. There's several barriers. The United Kingdom is still moving away from their time as being part of the European Union. Their regulatory system needs a push. They need to move closer to a science-based standard system that we have. They need to reduce their tariffs. They've signed trade agreements this past year with both Australia and New Zealand, where they're phasing out tariffs on food imports, and we need the same treatment. Meanwhile, Mexico issued a new decree regarding importing genetically modified corn. They want to phase out fairly quickly the imports of white corn from the U.S. and look to some point next year or beyond to phase down imports of yellow corn. None of this has any basis in science, so this is giving more impetus to the folks urging our trade representative's office just to bring a case under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement against Mexico. Certainly, we think this is a very clear trade violation of that agreement. Michael Clements, Washington. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. It's interesting on this President's Day to reflect on how the Department of Agriculture evolved between George Washington's presidency and that of Abraham Lincoln. Washington's cabinet included just four members compared to 16 today. And there was no Secretary of Agriculture. In fact, there was no Department of Agriculture. It was still 80-plus years away. It was Abraham Lincoln, in fact, part of the Morrill Act, who established USDA in May 1862. But still, the Ag Commissioner, as he was called then, was, did not hold a cabinet position. That would happen in 1889. Norman Coleman, first commissioner, became the first official U.S. Secretary of Agriculture and a cabinet member. Ag Secretary Vilsack served as our 30th Secretary under President Obama and now our 32nd Secretary under the Biden administration. This is the Bottom Line Report. AgriLiquid is precision crop nutrition. Their liquid fertilizers are engineered to help you deliver the right nutrition at the right time all season long. AgriLiquid says apply less this spring, but expect more. Learn more at agriliquid.com. James Wilson served as the longest-termed U.S. Secretary from 1897 to 1913, and the only one to serve under three separate presidents. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. The last two years in American agriculture were the best two years in terms of net cash income in the history of our country. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says that the nation's farmers in 2021 generated just under $140 billion in net farm income. That broke the previous record, but then came 2022, another record-breaking income year, $162.7 billion. Now that takes us to 2023. What kind of income year can the nation's farmers expect? Coming up, we'll take a look at what the experts are forecasting on this edition of Agriculture USA. I'm Gary Crawford. The Agriculture Department has issued its forecast for 2023 farm income, and right now it does not look like we can use that annoying, record-breaking sound effect for this year. At least that's how it looks at the moment. USDA forecasting a drop in overall farm cash receipts and a drop in net income. This latest forecast has producers generating just over $150.5 billion in net cash income. Down 
about 21% relative to last year. Which, as we said, was a record high income year. This from Spiro Stefano. He runs the USDA's Economic Research Service. He says USDA is projecting a 4.3% decline in total cash receipts to farmers, a 3% drop for crop receipts. Corn, soybeans, cotton, fruit, vegetables, all forecast to go down. Only wheat will see an increase in receipts, but by less than 1%. Livestock receipts, on the other hand, expected to drop more, 5.7%, led by a decline in dairy sales. Dairy is looking at a nearly 17% drop in cash receipts. Most all of these crop and livestock declines due to the expectation that prices that farmers will be getting for their commodities are likely to fall from their very high levels of last year. Also, farmers will get a lot less income from the government this year. Government payments declining a little over 34 percent year over year. That voice belongs to the Agriculture Department's chief economist, Seth Meyer. He says this is a couple of years in a row now for direct government payments declining. Meyer says the payments surrounding the pandemic are coming to a halt now. Plus, with high commodity prices, we see payments related to commodity prices decline as well, too. Right. So some of those payments that fluctuate with commodity prices, they're shrinking to quite low levels here and expected for 2023. So farmers' cash incomes are likely to be less than a year ago. Now, let's look at the expense side of the ledger. Last year, those expenses went up 11 percent. This year? They're going to increase, but not as much, about 4 percent. Spiro Stefano says, actually, farmers may spend a little less this year on the three Fs, fuel, fertilizer, and feed, but they'll have to shell out more money for just about everything else, including their livestock and poultry purchases, those are expected to go up nearly 14%. Labor costs are going up as well. Labor costs are going up just over 7%. But interest rate expenses, those are expected to rise the most of all, up by 22%. However, Seth Meyer says because last year was such a good year for farm incomes, folks should be in a pretty good position in general to maybe be able to minimize borrowing to some extent or narrow borrowing to some extent. But even so, in general, most producers are still going to see profits drop from last year's record high by almost 21 percent. Is this the right music for the rest of the story? One analyst we talked to says no, this is not going to be a gloom and doom year. First off, almost any year in connection to 2022, is going to look less favorable. Seth Meyer told us we have to look at this new forecast not as a farm income disaster by any means. Yes, it is declining relative to last year. Yes, receipts are falling. Yes, government payments are falling. Yes, input prices continue to rise, but it's still a better than the long-run average farm income year. Meyer says this is not a case of asking, is the cup half full or half empty? The glass is three quarters full. It's still a quite good year for farm income. He says producer margins may indeed be squeezed, and so... We're tightening the belt here a little bit. Still got plenty of room. (laughs) Plenty of room. And Meyer says the farm sector will make it through the year... Still in pretty good shape. Pretty good shape. You've been listening to Agriculture USA, and I'm uh, not in very good shape. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Yes, I'm Elia Radziner and Head of Revenue and Product for BeWise, the co-founder. There, actually a beekeeper by trade. So. Very nice. Many A man in many hats. So today we are at the World Ag Expo 2023 on the grounds of the International Agri Center, um, where the theme is taking care of ag business. And I would love to talk to you about your product today, which was one of the winners of the Top 10 New Product Competition. Can you give me a brief overview of what you're showcasing today? Yeah, of course. So what you're looking at, we call it the Bee Home. And basically it's a device that takes care of 24 hives. Okay. And the idea is we have a robotic system inside and we have 24 colonies of bees and the robotic system actually takes care of the bees and you know attends to all their needs in real time. Wow. I mean it looks fascinating. This is like no other bee box or beehive that I've ever seen. Um, for folks who they obviously can't see what I'm seeing um, but they can listen. Can you just describe this for me? Yeah, so the box itself, the footprint is about 8 feet by 7 feet, <laughs> about 7 feet tall. Um, and it houses 24 hives. So we have on the outside of the device, we have the hives, and the bees have got access, um, you know, to go in and out of the device and pollinate, you know, the crops and, and you know, collect nectar to make honey. Um, in the center of the device, we've got a robotic system that actually has access to all the hives to maintain their health, like I said before. And we have a feeding system and a harvesting system and a pest treatment system all inside, so it's pretty much a self-contained unit. On the top of the unit, we've got solar panels and we've got batteries and an electronic system, of course, you know, to maintain the, the power for the system. So like I said, self-contained also in terms of the bee and the bee health, also in terms of power and technology and just all the systems that bees need to thrive and you know to create good pollination and good honey production. The industry, the ag industry, is really ever evolving, um, which is a good thing. But when that happens, the needs of the producers and the environment and our pollinators are ever changing. What was the need that you guys saw um, in the development process, or or why you developed this product? Yeah, of course. So that that's a good place to start. Um, so today commercial beekeepers lose about 40% of their bees every year. Due to what? So we have pests, we have pesticides, we've got climate change. So there are many factors that, you know, combined are bringing these heavy losses. 
And these aren't natural. 30 years ago, we had 2-3% loss. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to be in another 20-30 years, but you know the, the trends are very obvious. So today we're at about 40% losses, and really the industry is becoming unsustainable. And it's important to remember that 30% of everything we eat, every third bite, has been pollinated by a bee. So we really can't afford to lose the bees. And that's where we started off. That's what we were looking at. And we tried to understand, okay, we are losing 40% of our bees every year, but why? And what we realized is that commercial beekeepers don't have the right infrastructure and the right technology to treat their bees you know, in real time and understand what's happening at scale. That's why we developed this, um, this uh, concept. And I said before, it's called the bee home, but the idea here is remote beekeeping. If you're able to log into a computer remotely, see what's happening with your hives, and tell the robot what to do, you're able to actually treat problems you know, in real time and fix them before they become detrimental. With our system, we've seen losses go down from 40% losses to around 10%. And where do you see this product fitting in with the future of the industry? So I think um, in general in agriculture, and bees aren't different in that respect, we're seeing more and more technology uh, being introduced to all, all aspects of agriculture, and more and more you know, precision robotics, precision agriculture, and that's exactly what we're doing here. Um, you know, the, the previous technological revolution, you know, built machines, you know, tractors and machines to, to do wide-scale agriculture. And we have actually, you know, designed agriculture around those machines. This revolution, the AI revolution and the precision robotic revolution, is building machines around the organism needs. So instead of building a machine and then, you know, having monoculture around that, you know, build a machine around what the bees actually need so you can actually tend to their needs in real time. And I think that's where agriculture is going in general. And we are doing our part with the bees. Well, we know that bees are very important. As you mentioned, what, one in three bites. Uh, we need them. So it's good that you guys are creating this and uh, kind of following through with the evolution of the industry. If folks want to gather more information on this product um, or just the company in general, where can they go? Yeah, so we have an internet site, bwise.ag, like agriculture. Um, and we have a Facebook page. We have, we're on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know, where, where can people see us? Follow us on Twitter. Um, all of the socials. All the socials. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. 
Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. A remarkable boost in funding for USDA conservation efforts next year. USDA's conservation budget next year could see what the Agriculture Secretary calls a remarkable increase. USDA's Gary Crawford has comments from Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in this next report. This is an extraordinarily transformational and pivotal moment for American agriculture. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in New Orleans this week telling the Convention of the National Association of Conservation Districts that he's thankful for their members' support for climate smart agriculture and its possibilities for creating new revenue streams for farmers while improving soil and water quality. To that end, Vilsack said, We're going to commit in 2023 roughly $850 million. That's an increase. But nothing like what could be available for conservation next year through the Inflation Reduction Act, a possible $1.7 billion. The challenge, finding the technical conservation experts and workers to do projects at that scale. We've begun to hire more people in NRCS, but the reality is without you, we can't get it done. Bill Sachs said there's already a big backlog of conservation projects that are funded but don't have the technical experts to complete the projects in a timely manner. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Thanks, Gary. Reporting for Agnet West Radio Network, I'm Danielle Leo. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol reminds growers that March 31st is the deadline to enroll and complete data entry for the 2022 crop. Program Operations Manager for the Cotton Trust Protocol, Tillman White, explains the types of benefits growers have access to through the program. Producers enrolled in the Trust Protocol are going to be eligible to participate in the Climate Smart Cotton Program. This provides technical and financial assistance to 1,650 U.S. cotton farmers with acres that will be available for climate smart practice changes. They can also receive personalized data, which can be used to help improve their sustainability efforts and their yield. Growers can additionally gain a closer communication with their end-use customer. Also, as a reminder, all of their data that can be entered into the program is, of course, secure and remains confidential, only being used in an aggregate form. If growers have a crop consultant, they can be authorized to help enter information on the grower's behalf. Additionally, for growers who utilize the John Deere Ops Center platform, the program can help pre-populate up to 40% of the data that they need to complete the field print analysis. With increased scrutiny on sustainability, the program is providing access to more sustainably grown cotton for brands and retailers, science-based, data-led assurances that consumers can have confidence in, something that the industry has been lacking. Since the Trust Protocol's launch in 2020, the program has welcomed more than 1,100 brand, retailer, and mill manufacturers, including Levi Strauss and Company, Old Navy, Gap, and J. Crew. As members continue to increase, we must ensure there's enough cotton in the system to meet demand so that the U.S. remains a leading producer of sustainable cotton to markets around the world. We want to thank growers for their time thus far and again remind them to go to our website at trustuscotton.org. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Certainly on the unusually warm and wet side. What USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says was the weather pattern 
for this past January. We did see our sixth warmest, 18th wettest January of record. With records going back as far as 1895. Much of the warmth was concentrated across the eastern half of the country, and we did see a number of states, mainly in the northeast, that had record-setting January warmth. In fact, if you look at the overall temperature patterns for the month of January, it was pretty impressive. More than five degrees Fahrenheit above the 20th century mean. While precipitation averaged three inches last month across the country. That was more than 120% of the 20th century mean. Perhaps more impressive, it was the second wettest and fourth warmest January of the 21st century. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. U.S. farm exports to drop by 12% over three years. The USDA projected America's foods and agricultural exports will drop by 12% through fiscal year 2026. The erosion will be caused by a global economic slowdown, inflation, higher interest rates, and the strong U.S. dollar. Overall, economic conditions are projected to slow U.S. exports quicker than imports, leading to a trade deficit. USDA projections show that exports will drop across the board, but grains and soybean will get hit the hardest. Reduced export volumes will also mean lower commodity prices. But 2017 is expected to show a rebound in exports. Farm exports were forecasted at $190 billion this year, dropping to $166.3 billion in 2026, and then rising to $182.2 billion by 2032, the last year of the 10-year baseline. Imports will also slow down but are expected to recover by 2032. Food and ag imports were forecasted at $199.1 billion this year and will grow to $200 billion by 2032. NAFB contributed to that report. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leo, Brian German, and Sabrina Halbertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.